Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome back to the second part of our interview with world-renowned addictionologist, that's a mouthful, Dr. Rob Kelly, formerly of Manchester, England, now living in Texas. Hey, make sure you get a pencil or pen handy because Dr. Rob is going to share his personal phone number with us and invites a contact, a contact that will change your life in 15 minutes or he will refund you $100 for having wasted your time. You don't want to miss that opportunity. Hang on. Well, was at Abbey Road at the time, working nights and paying my, uh, my schoolwork. And I also paid a lot of people because I had a lot of money from Abbey Road to, uh, to do a lot of my work for me. I was drunk most of the time. Um, I wasn't there on my own merit. I got there because as, as a 16-year-old boy, uh, one of my friend's father was a Freemason and uh, they were desperate need for a, a, an organist uh, for this celebration in the lodge. Uh, so they inducted me in as a Freemason. Um, that's where I got the contacts who got me into Oxford. I should never have been there. Um, so my drinking wasn't crazy at the beginning, but towards the end, it kind of, it kind of was. So I scraped through. I scraped through with other people helping me, other people writing my papers for me. <clears throat> so yeah, it, it was uh, it was a crazy days, and a lot of it were blurred. Uh, how I died, I didn't die. I don't know because I was I was I was drinking in the morning, in the afternoon, and I go home sleep the most of the afternoon. Supposed to be in school, and then at night time I'd be taking amphetamines and cocaine to get through the late sessions till two or three more in the morning with, with my session work. Then I'd go home and sleep a bit and it was just a, a cycle going round and round and round. So it was pretty much a blur. So I me. get the impression that on paper it shouldn't have worked out. Obviously it did. And again, I think you used the words earlier, God's got this. And uh, even in those moments where you may not have acknowledged him, you may not have pointed toward him, he was obviously there and uh, pushing the right buttons. I, you know, I, I honestly know that for a fact today. So <clears throat> people talk about God. Um, I have to intervene and go, you know something, guys? I'm telling you now he's real. I'm telling you if you follow and work with God's kids, you can have anything you want in life. And life's amazing. <clears throat> because even, I want to say about nine months ago, Brandy, I went to a hospital. I had a, a twist of the esophagus. So, and we've had this before, and it, and it looks like a heart attack and feels like one. We get to the hospital. Of course, they know me from all the TV work I do over here. And uh, like, Dr. Rob, what's going on? I said, it's not a heart attack. You know, calm down. Your heart's there. It's not a heart attack, guys, I'm telling you. So uh, they said, what do you want? Are you in pain? I said, yeah, of course I'm in pain. Um, give me, I don't know what the milligrams was, bear with me guys, if you hear another podcast and it's a different milligram, I, I have no idea what it was, but let's say a milligram of uh, Delorded and a milligram of morphine is what I asked for and so enough, the pain went and I'm good, and he said, Rob, I need to keep you overnight, I said, good, I'm, I'm fine 
So when the nurses and the doctors change, on this occasion, this is what happened. So I've just had my pain relief, two of them. I'm in bed, I'm, I'm chilling out, I'm cool. The wife goes home to get uh, clothes and a shower, and then a new nurse comes on. <clears throat> and apparently, this is what the attorney said. The nurse shouted, uh, what should I give him? And he heard, what have you given him? So he shouts one mil of Delord, one mil of morphine. So she comes in and I'm sleeping by now and she whacks me with the both again. So, and then she goes on with it with a day. Um, there was a nurse that missed her coffee break and she was running late. And then one of the other nurses said, quick, go and get your coffee now. So she goes back to my private room and she sees me on my front with the gown open. So all my butt showing. So she came in to cover me up and she noticed I was clammy and cold. That's because I was dead. She rolled me over. She was five foot two. She rolled me over. She banged the, the crash cart. She got on me and she gave me, you know, the bumps in the chest. She resussed my heart. Uh, and I came back too. Uh, it was unbelievable. There was doctors. There was more doctors than I've ever seen in my life. There was business guys in there. They were screaming and shouting when I came out. They're like, do you know who this guy is? Oh my God, they're there. We're going to get sued. Oh, my God. That's all I could hear. They called my wife, the nurse did, and, and told them that they they had died and they brought me back around. And it was just a big a big mayhem. Uh, I wouldn't sue a doctor, uh, but they gave me an amount of money just to not say anything uh, about any names or hospital, which I, I won't do. But, yeah, even then, God had my back because that nurse shouldn't have been passing my door at that time. Much more than any coincidence that it was coffee I Harmony, yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to believe in coincidences, Randy, but it's you can't put this down. You can't put all my stuff. I mean, there's loads of stuff I could tell you, and you go, no. I go, yeah, yeah. Got the medical records here. I was diagnosed with cancer once in the esophagus, and uh, when they took me down for a final X-ray, it disappeared. And they had already called my parents in the UK, the, the surgeon, and told them. That was going into esophagus operation with cancer, and, it, and the chance of coming around was not good. So they called them. That was a huge lawsuit waiting to happen because, because you know, they'd call them. My mom was crying. My dad was, but I, they couldn't find the cancer. Uh, we shook hands. I never sued them. Like I swore I wouldn't. But yeah, there's loads of stuff uh, like that. I uh, once heard it said, we haven't come this far to only come this far. You didn't survive those yeah. seven or eight, whatever you said it was, suicide attempts. Only five suicide yeah. attempts. There was a far greater purpose than that. Obviously, you had to uh, you had to rise above those moments to make it to this moment. But you've gotten here, yeah. and you're sharing that story, and we appreciate it. Uh, how have you seen the battle against addiction, be it alcohol or drugs, change over the years? Are we getting anywhere? Are we doing a better job? Are we more perceptive of what's going on? I'd like your opinion on that, please. We are getting there, although uh, uh, treatment centers of doctors are stuck in the 70s and 80s, 90s therapy, counseling uh, things, which are not good to alcoholics or addicts. Great for the normal person, keep going to counseling. But we, we lack a bit of education about what's really going on and the lack of information. And 
talks around the family. You see, when people go into treatment, they get the family once a month to talk about little Billy and how bad he was. It's, it's got nothing to do with that. The family household is traumatized by the person that has addiction. Everybody's brought into it. Everybody's suffering. So what we found out is when we introduce the family, so we bring the, the alcoholic in seven days a week, three months, one hour a day. The wife has to do two hours a week with us for the 90 days. If she doesn't, we will not take on the patient. And people go, well, that's stupid. I say, no, it's not. Because what we found out is when the family is involved, the chances of the addict recovering goes up by 42% right there and there. <clears throat> so I think the new science is coming through. And there's a bunch of guys like me that's been thinking outside the box because that's what it needs. Alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. 10 DWIs do not make you an alcoholic. A warning from the doctor, drinking every day does not make you an alcoholic. An alcoholic is of the mind. It's got nothing to do with the alcohol. And people don't distinguish the both. Oh, Jimmy, next door, he drinks all day. He's an alcoholic. Well, you don't know that. You don't know. You don't know. See, abusing alcohol is stuffing a lot of alcohol down your body. Alcohol is a, is a total different psychological warfare going on there that's beyond the alcohol. So I think the more we do our stuff and the more TV we do and conventions that we do, when we pass this information on, people are starting to catch hold and go, oh, my goodness, you know, this is, this is unbelievable. Then we've got the past 15 years I've been over here. We've got every single patient and every single uh, follow-up uh, every year to make sure that our guys are staying sober. And to cap all of that, what we do, because we know we found the key to alcoholism, addiction, childhood trauma, and depression, is we're the only company in the world that offers a money-back guarantee. So if you relapse after following our direction and continue to follow our direction of the program, if you relapse, we will refund your money in full. So I think the more we do this and other people start to do it and we realize that, you know, alcoholism, uh, it's okay being locked up for 90 days, but you've got to recover in your own environment. You just have to. That's what we found. You know, uh, it's like the old model. They say there's two houses. The re there's the treatment center and there's the house where the family lives. The family is dysfunctional. So let's say that this house speaks English. And for instance, recovery has its own language. So let's call that German. So we pick the patient out of the house speaks English, we stick him in a treatment center and we teach him a new language about recovery. Let's say it's German. Now he's fluent in German. So what the old the old and current model is, is then we take him away after 90 days and we stick him back in the house that speaks English. What's going to happen? He's going to start speaking English again. He's going to get sick. He's going to relapse. So we have to re-educate the whole house so when dad comes home or dad comes away from us, the wife and anybody over the age of 18 in the house has also been educated about the disease. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a family disease, but it's also a family recovery. Early on, as a part of your introduction, I commented that your uh, recovery methods are, are changing lives, and I'm going to guess that comes as a result of <laughs> your recovery methods that you described a few moments ago or out of the box. Uh, Dr. Phil, I don't listen to him a lot, but I'd love his one line he'll always give folks, how's that working for you? With what you've said, yes. the past has has been there. It, it did its best at the moment. 
it's not working today and we've got to find a way that will. And you're obviously tapping exactly. into that resource. Yes, we are, you know, and obviously uh, very proud of it. And, and we're showing people that, you know, there's a life, there's a life beyond addiction, recovery, depression, you know, but you, you have to realize what it's about and what you're going through and how you can get out. It's like, if you don't know the way out, you can't do it on your own. You need somebody else. You know, if you did the same thing today as you did yesterday, you're not progressing in life. You're sat in your comfort zone. You will relapse. You will, you know, not amount to anything. There's, there's no champions. There's no CEOs, footballers, movie stars that, are, that are do what they do now, sat in their comfort zone. So every single day, we must do something different to reroute them patterns to go back to the old circuitry that is relapse, bad behavior, and that's stealing and all the stuff that we do. So circuitry needs to change. So you need to do something different every single day to, to rewire. And it can be the smallest thing. But we don't want to repeat yesterday to the T. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck in, in that comfort zone. And the only reason why people say one day at a time is it's not an AA thing. It goes way past AA. It, it goes back to the nuns and, and the scientists and the philosophers and the psychologists back in the day that realized that different parts of the brain reset every 24 hours. So if you can live in the now with a little bit of a change, you'll be okay. Interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, where do you think we are today as a society concerning the bias and the stigma toward addiction? The problem with the stigma is I think we're still there. I don't think we've come a long way. Uh, so uh, nobody's coming out of the closet right now. Most of the people we work with are A-listers. They never comment on Facebook. They never even appear on Facebook. Most of them do a cash deal because they do not want their bank accounts tracing it back to us. So I think the more people like me come out and, and say what they've got to say, but we ask every person, every of the 8,000 people we work with, can we use your name? Can we, you know, can we do this? Can we do? And they all say, no, not right now because obviously I'm going to get fired and a bad reputation, but you see on the TV now more and more actors are coming out and, and, and talking about the troubles and stuff like that. Uh, the only problem with recovery is there's no money in it. That's why that's why no one's in a rush to fix this. You see, if the pharmaceutical companies can give us a drug to take, a pill to take, they're happy. If the treatment centers can charge us thirty thousand dollars a month with with two percent success rate, they're happy. So we're left to the guys that are not in this for the money. But, you know, I mean, yes, I get paid a lot of money for what I do, but it was never about the money. You know, you can take me out of my house right now, stick me in a tent in the middle of a field with my wife and three dogs and one cat, and I'll be happy as I am today. It's all material things. You know, I've been rich and I've been poor. And I'll tell you something, Randy, I, I, take, I pick rich every day, don't get me wrong, but that's the only because I can give back more. We, you know, we're known for giving away more money than we earn sometimes because, you know, it's about helping people. It's about being kind to people. But we need to get in the mindset of putting more money into the recovery, good recovery places, good education, not old education. There's no point in teaching relapse prevention. I've heard people in the treatment centers time and time and time again when I was with them saying, okay, there's 15 people in this room. By this time next month, 12 of you would have relapsed. That's not the way forward. Because what you're telling me is when I relapse, it's okay, because you said I would, so it's okay. You know, we're not teaching the right things in them places. And believe me, there are millions of places that do, that we associate with. But there's a lot of bad apples out there that, that are keeping this going. 
So I think we're progressing, um, but I don't think we're where we need to be. So we need to keep pushing. We need to keep educating. The guys like me, you need to stand up and be counted uh, and say the things that other people are thinking. Um, I was on a program probably, I don't know when it was. It was probably, I don't know, a year, two years ago. I can't remember. But I was live across the United States on a live interview uh, with Purdue, the Wait, Purdue company, the drug company, questions. and their attorney. Yeah, and we were there head to head. And by the time I'd finished with him, uh, Purdue, and I know there was other things going on, but the next day they filed for bankruptcy. It's like, ever since that, people say, watch your back, watch your back. I'm like, listen, somebody has to say it. If something happens to me, at least somebody said it. I don't care. I don't care what it needs to be said. And we need to say, you cannot treat drug addiction with a drug. Now, don't even, if you're on Suboxone coming off heroin, good, but it has to be a taper. Because what you'll find if you keep taking it, it's harder to come off than heroin. But now you're paying full price for it, or the insurance companies are. So it's a vicious circle. Don't be fooled. You can't treat drug addiction with a drug. You can't do it. You are not clean, okay? You are not California sober, whatever the depending on what that means. Any alcohol, any anything that you take in your body that, that rearranges the thought patterns and makes you feel better is bad for you, pertaining to addiction, like uh, sports drinks, energy drinks, stuff like that. No good. And before you say, guys, what about coffee? Coffee is not a stimulant. What? Coffee is not a stimulant, guys. It blocks the tired uh, cells away from the brain so you don't feel as tired. It's not a stimulant. Sports drinks, cocaine, all that stuff light the brain up. It's short-lasting and it will distort the thought patterns. Okay. I want to head into a little area here you made mention earlier. We're talking a little bit about Purdue Pharma there. We were talking about some of what goes on with all of that, the need for change and stigma and bias. I I have a 501c3, A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. We're rural Indiana in about 27 different counties, 45 different chapters. We're not at 12-step. We have nothing against 12-step. It's simply not who we are. We've chosen a different path. We're in four states. We're at the grassroots level in, in respect to everything you're sharing here. What's your best advice for, for our small communities who are overwhelmed by addiction issues? What can be done? Uh, yeah, give us a little advice there, please. Three words, education, education, education. That's what we need. And, and if you're in a small town where there's addiction or your sons, are, start dialogue. Start dialogue now. Start teaching children at the age of six, seven, eight, nine that there's addiction in the family or there's alcoholism in the family. We have to be careful. Education, education. And now we're seeing a new generation come through that don't drink as much because they want to be healthy, but they're banging Adderall and Vyvanse, you know, every day, which distorts the brain and uh, fires the brain so the neurons get tired out. They're not firing as good. The synapse is not producing more energy to go across the neural pathways. And eventually, there's going to be some bad circumstances. And if you stop taking Adderall when you're hot on it, you will go to the street. So dialogue is the best thing, man. Listen, we, we have... Uh, we have a part of our company that, that two girls are sat there all day talking to parents. So if you're, if you're a parent 
there's no charge on, you know, this is not about money. Uh, you can call my guys up for advice all the time. Just jump on the web. If, you, if you're only listening, I spell my name two B's, R-O-B-B-K-L-O-Y.com. There's a button there you can press that comes either straight through to me or one of my staff and we'll talk to you. You know, never going to cost you anything. Moms, we've spoken to moms for, for years, sometimes years, once a week. They'll call after the sun gets well. I want to thank you. We've got all the time in the world for you guys. So we want to be here for you, you know, and we want to help you wherever you, we can. And we want to put your mind at ease uh, and we want to educate you about addiction and alcoholism so you can help your son. Thank daughter, you for that. Uh, would you give, give that website again, please? It's robkelly.com, R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com is the website. And what I would like to say is, guys, if you're listening to this and you are in that place, and when I say in that place, you know what I mean. Contemplate suicide, stuck at home in a little tiny apartment, nobody loves you, nobody cares, you're drinking yourself to death, you're taking drugs, you don't know how to get out, you're scared, uh, you never be good enough, smart enough. Uh, I want to apologize to you, first of all, because somebody's put that there. You can get out of anything. You are smart. You are amazing. So I want you to do one thing, guys. I want you to text me on my personal cell phone number of 214-600-0210. Text me, and I will call you when I'm free, and I will give you a 15-minute pep talk that will change your life. And if it doesn't, guys, I'm going to send you $100 personally for wasting your time. I'm going to repeat that. I'll ask you to repeat the number here in a moment. But they can have your personal number, make a phone call, and you will give them 15 minutes of pep talk and encouragement. And if it does not work, you're going to send them $100 for having wasted their time. Is that what you said? I did indeed because I've never I've never sent a hundred dollars yet and we've had thousands of calls, but I can change I can change your life in, in fifteen minutes, guys. Fifteen minutes, and again, my personal cell phone number. And I want to tell you guys, it's this one here I'm holding up. It's not my secretary, it's not the front desk, it's not my wife. Two one four six zero 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 two one zero. Text me first. So you text me, hey Doctor Rob, I'm, I'm going through a bad time. When I'm free, I'll text you. Hey buddy, can you make it tomorrow at three o'clock? I'll call you. You go, yeah, I'll call you up. We'll talk 15 minutes. I'll change your life. Otherwise, I'll That's send you a hundred cash. <laughs> That's a too good to be true offer that's true, okay? Thank you for your willingness to do that. That obviously shows that care. You mentioned earlier your clients are about 75% paying clients. The other 25% is pro bono. It's free time. It's uh, You're there because you care, obviously. We are, and we have a golden rule run in this in this company is every single therapist every single co- uh, coach every single psychotherapist must carry a pro bono that's that's awesome that's awesome thank you for that uh we've we've touched on it but i don't think we've we've hit on mental health obviously all of this is involved with that and i believe that uh you know, addiction is certainly a mental health issue, but not all mental health issues uh, are built around 
addiction. So help us with how mental health plays in with all of this, please. Well, mental health is obviously large spectrum uh, covering mental health, but it's under mental health because it is a disease. It's an illness where the choice is taken away from us. So what people may realize is when we have addiction or alcoholism, we also have bipolar, we also have depression, we also have suicidal tendencies. We, you know, we have all these things that are, that are passed down uh, with the alcoholism. So it's rightly under the Mental Health Act because it deserves to be there. It's no different to any other disease that we, that we have psychologically. So it is a malady, it can be treated, uh, but it's much deeper than you think it is. So what we started to do is, as a whole in America, is we've started to stick it under one name, and that one's mental health. So we all, I will find a lot of times when people come with alcoholism, they note down uh, depression, they note down uh, bipolar, you know, stuff like this. But when the alcohol is treated, then symptoms go away. And I'm afraid you were used... Uh minutes ago, but one that's of interest to me is the idea of self-sabotage and alcoholism, and I'm sure that fits into all addictions. Many of the people that I have been around and worked with, it's just, yeah, it's just a recurring event that even as they're moving along in a positive direction, it's almost a fear of success where they turn to that self-sabotage. Will you address that? Yeah, self-sabotage, especially with addictions, uh, centers in the basal ganglia, which is our repetition strength and confirms part of the brain. We do something for five, six, ten hours, we learn it, and then we don't have to think about it. It's already in that circle. Uh, but what tends to happen with uh, people who have uh, trauma, childhood trauma, or any kind of addiction is it, it tends to be a default. So if you can imagine a clock face, because the, the round of the basal ganglia is not a clock face, but if you can imagine for a second what happens is 10 after, everything's good, you've come off a relapse, you come out of depression, 20 after you get the car back, you know, after you get your girlfriend back, then the kids come back, and then all of a sudden, tension, you will bring that all down and you will mess all that up for a reason, because you don't think you're good enough and you don't think you deserve it, you don't think you're worthy. That's childhood trauma. So it breaks and we start all over again and we relapse and we go into depression. And it's just a case of rewiring that circuitry around that old behavior. So if you can imagine, uh, there are billions of neural pathways in their head. If you can imagine your pathway being split between good and bad. If I've been going to the bad for the last 30, 40 years, then it's really difficult to swap over to the good. So the more neural pathways we have good in our head and the less bad ones we have, that's another way to recover addiction. It's rewiring and recircuitry of the brain that stops us going back to old behavior and old habits. Uh, for instance, the guys that want to stop drinking are alcoholics, but they still go in the bar drinking non-alcoholic beer. I'll say again, it's not about the alcohol. So sooner or later, you're going to relapse in the, you're going to be in the same state you was before because it's not about the alcohol. If you're doing the behavior, that's what needs changing. If the mind and thought patterns around alcohol has never changed, then you will relapse. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I see it way too often, and we need help in order to avoid that and to recognize what's going, what's going to be. Uh, somewhere I've read in information on you that 
an alcoholic is 20% normal and 80% alcoholic and a non-alcoholic's the other numbers. Can you talk that a moment? Yeah, so it comes down to thought patterns and behavior, <clears throat> 80%. So normal people have 80% and 20% bad. Alcoholics have 80% bad and 20% good. So our, our rewiring and circuitry will always self-sabotage, will always second thought, will always, you know, not go for that job, not go for that boyfriend, step away from that car because we don't think we're good enough. We do things of the past and we end up relapsing or going back into depression. It's, it's all the same thing. There's things, and I'll, I'll do this before we finish. I'll give you four things to change the circuitry in your brain to start with. It's all about changing that circuitry and not going back to our behavior and make sure that people say, you know, I acted out all behavior today, Dr. Rob. And I go, listen, if you acted out all behavior, it's not all behavior, it's current behavior. And that needs to change. So the recircuitry completely uh, from that uh, will be heading you in the right wow. direction for sure. Okay. A uh, couple of last things I'd like to address here, please. You said something, and I believe this was concerning trauma and our response to it. Uncover what it is. About <laughs> discard it. Yes. So we, we talk about childhood trauma. Uh, first of all, we need to, what's called uncover, discover, and discard. So the uncovering is finding out exactly what happened to you because you, you're acting a certain way today. We need to trace that back from the trauma that started that behavior or thought plan. Uh, so we have to uncover what that is. And then after we know what it is, we have to discover why it's affecting our behavior today. So child molestation, molested children molest, abuse children be abused, that kind of thought pattern. And then once we find out why we do it and the correlation between both, we have to work on that and then disregard that, that trauma away uh, by a series of uh, brain spotting, neural linguistic programming, psychology, um, you know, great stuff like that, uh, EMDR, uh, cast it away, go over it, talk about it, you know, really find out what it's about. And then we discard of it psychologically we discard and the more we do that with every single piece of trauma the clearer you will be see what happens with trauma in the brain is the prefrontal cortex is our decision maker as a few other jobs the main one is give me an answer to my problem right now is what the brain is screaming to the prefrontal cortex so the prefrontal cortex uh is job is to come up with a solution to your problem and it does it really fast so therefore, really good. The only problem with that is it doesn't have to be the right answer. So what happens with traumatic people and, and, and addicts is the subconscious brain is where every ba anything bad, let's just say layman, everything bad in there, all memories, relapse, whatever, they're all stored in there. Everything we see, hear, touch, feel from birth is stored in there. We never forget anything unless you've got a traumatic brain injury. Here's the conscious brain. This is in the now, today, thinking straightly. But the only thing is, first of all, they overlap. Okay, they overlap. So in the prefrontal cortex says, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. It will pull straight away from the subconscious brain that's full of bad stuff. So by getting rid as much uh, bad stuff as we can, it creates the good stuff. to be. So when the prefrontal cortex says, give me an answer, it's going to pull from the conscious brain. The conscious brain lives in today. So if you're living today, we're more likely to have a fantastic life. So babies are born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That's all. 
The rest are man-made. Wait till your father gets home. If you don't pass his exam, you're going to not. I'll take your phone off you. Fear is an illusion. It isn't real. And people might go, well, I don't. Have you ever done a talk anywhere? I'm so nervous before you get there. You're nervous while you're being introduced. You walk on stage and bang, it's gone. It's not real. What fear is, is worrying about the future. And what depression is, is worrying about the past. It's like we can't change the past and we don't know the future holds. So why am I worried? I'm going to stay in today. A lot of the time when I'm speaking somewhere or doing on TV, it's got cancelled last minute and I've worried for two days over that. It's like I've taught myself that fear is an illusion, apart from loud noises still uh, and falling down still. Now again, I'm 62. Um, but yeah, that's all it is. And people, people are ruled by fear uh, and the past. They're ruled by it. So we can't really live in today. Uh, and, that, and that's where anxiety and depression come I, from. I like that definition of fear along with one of depression. Fear is worrying about tomorrow. Depression's worrying about yesterday. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Uh, when I get ready to wrap it up here, I have just a, a forward phrase that I've read you use several times. You don't have time. Would you that thought, and uh, I'll have one more question for you then, please. Beautiful. I love that. I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah, we don't have time, guys, and, and let me explain what that means. <clears throat> Moms and dads, if you're listening, remember when you was waving your child off to kindergarten and the next minute you're waving off to college? You always hear parents say that. Where did that time go from? Where's it gone? You know, we all think we've got time. So I wanted to capture this in real science, in, in real experiments. So, you know, we followed friends and families, uh, elderly ones uh, that, you know, were in hospice. And we'd ask them a question, what's the one thing you didn't know? What's one thing you regret? And they all said, I thought I had more time. We don't have time, guys. You know, so uh, me and my, and my friend of mine was clearing out my parents' house after they passed away. And my friend um, picked up this, this black and white photograph and he said, me and him were in like posing as we were bodybuilders. And he said, oh my God, look at this, Rob, look at this. And I was like, oh my God, look at how thin our waist was, look how handsome we were. And he said, God, those were the days, Rob. And I, it got me thinking, it's like, we didn't know those were the days back then. We didn't know how handsome we were. We didn't know how attractive we were, how powerful, our how clever. We didn't know. So what if today's one of those days? And that's how I live my life today. You haven't got time. Date that girl, buy that house, marry that man, do it today. And because you, you'll never be ready. Everyone thinks, yeah, oh, we're going to plan a baby. You are never ready for a baby. Should we get married? You are never ready for marriage. You're never ready for a new job. You're never ready for anything in the world. Jump in with both feet because the last thing you want to do at the age of 80 or 90 is sit down there and go, you know, I wish you really had done this. That would kill me. So take every opportunity that comes to you, take it. Unless it scares you like parachute jump, take it. And you will literally call me up in 30 years' time and go, oh, my God, best information. I've often heard it said that we will regret the things we didn't do much more than the things we've done. And I have found that out. And yes. I, I live for the moment in that respect and just say, why not, and go for it at times. As a final question, yes. the title of our Podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What does that title mean to you, Dr. Rob? It means I have faith in my recovery and I have faith 
in my recovery. So I have faith in my recovery that as long as I keep doing what I'm supposed to do, helping people, loving life, being happy all the time, uh, you know, uh, just lo- just loving what I do, then that faith behind that is knowing that my life's going to be amazing. The faith in it is is my God, is uh, the guy that saved me off the streets. So I've learned over the years that if I work with God's kids, if I help people, if I give money away, my time away, that I will be looked after and my faith keeps me going. So by my faith keeping me going, as me faith, as me has faith in faith to go Thank forward. You. Is there anything else you'd like to say or comment about before we close down here? Do you want to change your pathways tomorrow, guys? Do you want to weave out part of your brain and rewire? Here we go. Four simple steps. Get up tomorrow morning, please. Walk into the bathroom and look into the mirror and say, I love you 10 times. Let's start whacking that subconscious brain. I love you. I love you. Now, 10 times. It will feel awkward. You will not like it. You may not be able to make eye contact, but that's fine. Keep doing it. Second way, if you brush your teeth with your right hand, do one week left, one week right. Alternative for a month. Do that for a month. You'll change the way you think completely. Make your bed in the morning, guys. It's one check off for the brain going, yes, I've completed that. I'm on a winner today. And the last one in the world is the most important piece that you will thank me for in years to come. It's called breath work, but not the breath work that you know. This is breath work that will save your life and add five years onto your life. Let me explain. Most cancers, growth, illnesses, inflammation grow in the body in a hypoxic area, which means there is no oxygen there. One of the reasons why no human being ever has woken up laughing is because of lack of oxygen. So our oxygen is depleted through the hours of two and five, that's when the body is at its most repair. It's also when most people die of natural causes. The body is at its lowest. When we wake up, we only use about 25 to 45% of our lung capacity like this. That's it for the day. One of the only reasons why the gym is good and you feel good, it's not the exercise, guys. It's this. <sighs> in the middle of the exercise. So we want to be getting oxygen first thing in the morning. Let's flood the brain with oxygen. Let's flood all the cells in the body with oxygen and live on that 100% that day. And here's how we do it. Three times a day, when you wake up around lunchtime and around five, no later, because you might keep you awake, is you need to do 10 exaggerated breaths every morning like this. Get that 10 in. Make sure if you're standing up, hold on to something because you will go dizzy. It will add years to your life. Your thought patterns will become clearer. Your education will become clearer. Your mood will become better. There'll be more energy and you go on to live a great life when it comes to your that own That advice requires no wealth, no status, other than being able to breathe right. that next day and doing it when you recognize time is we don't have time, but this is an increase to the quality. I've always said I want quality over quantity, but if I live to a ripe old age, I'll deal with that then. So, yes, listen, thank you very much. Please give Courtney our thanks for making this contact. You've been a blessing to us. Uh, I know you're going to be to our listeners 
We appreciate your willingness to share your phone number, the contact information, and uh, just know we care here in Indiana and appreciate your willingness to be with us. So uh, God bless, take care, best wishes, and we'll trust the family comes together in God's time. And uh, I'd love to hear about it then. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Great to be on with you. Thank you so much. Well, and thank it you was guys our for pleasure to have you. God bless. Thank you, Dr. Rob. Folks, thanks for joining us here at Faith in Your Recovery. Stay in the battle. God bless. Amen. <laughs>